Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Chang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. We're so excited to be bringing back the podcast with the series on restaurants. Today's guest is someone I really look up to. Um, we're here sitting down with Ellen Yin, the James Beard Award-nominated founder and co-owner of High Street Hospitality Group. She's the restaurateur behind some of Philly's most acclaimed spots from Fork to High Street on Market. In today's episode, we chat with Ellen about her journey to becoming a restaurateur, how you can support restaurants at this time, and the future of restaurants after COVID. Let's dig in. Welcome, Ellen. We're so excited to have you on the pod. Thanks, Elena. Thanks, Maggie. Well, to start, we'd love to hear about where you grew up and uh, what inspired you to pursue the food industry. Well, you know, I I think I was mostly inspired by my mother, who um, really entertained a lot. My, my grandmother lived with us half the year and, um, she would, she had, a, came from a large family and, um, every weekend there would be people coming in and out of our house and my mom would be doing all the cooking and she was a phenomenal cook herself. Um, and I, I, you know, growing up was just always, you know, helping and enjoying, um, you know, helping to serve the food, helping to set the table et cetera, et cetera. And um, so when I was old enough, I think when I was 13 or 14, I was very independent. And, um, you know, like many Asian families, my parents were very strict about wanting us to succeed and taking piano lessons and, you know, studying and preparing for SATs and all that type of thing. And um, to kind of escape that, I decided that I wanted to get a job. And I started working first in a a Chinese restaurant in my hometown. And then um, I saw that a restaurant right behind our house, French restaurant was looking for um, bussers. And so I decided I was gonna apply for it. And they hired me and um, I was really nervous because um, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly the most um, graceful. And uh, I, I, I pretty much learned everything I learned about the restaurant industry from that French restaurant. Um, everything I know about food, classic cooking, hospitality, service, um, I learned from this, this one restaurant. And when I was accepted to Penn, I was really bummed out about leaving this, this restaurant. So I wanted to stay kind of close to home. And that's when I decided to come to Penn and, um, uh, I was an undergraduate at Wharton. Um, what did you see yourself studying when when you went in, when you were applying to Penn, and then what did you end up studying? Well, I thought I wanted to open a restaurant. I had many um, personal crises about whether or not um, owning a restaurant, going into the restaurant industry, was uh, where I should go. And um, I I ended up taking a semester off and, and trying to get into Cornell Hotel School. And when I went up to Ithaca and froze my butt off. Um, I decided that it wasn't for me and that I would stay at Penn. And when I came back, I thought, well, maybe I'll just get a job in a restaurant. And I started working at um, a restaurant that is a, that was across the street from the Penn Law School called Restaurant La Terrasse. And, uh, you know, one of the things about the restaurant industry is you create these bonds with people, the people that you work with, your guests, and many of those people are friends up until, you know, now, um, you know, some of my closest friends are people that I met when I worked at La Terrasse. So I started working there and um, 
important. Uh, you know, when I graduated, I did what everybody else did. I took some interviews and I knew that I could not open a restaurant just graduating from college. So I started working for an advertising agency, a small advertising agency that handled some local restaurants as well as retail shops. And I thought maybe this is it, you know, it's a creative business that integrates, you know, marketing with, um, creative arts to a certain extent. And maybe this will be something that I really feel passionate about. So I started working for, for a very small agency and, um, and, uh, I just constantly had these, these feelings like I wasn't being fulfilled. So long story short, I get laid off and I um, start working for the American Heart Association. I'm helping them raise money. I'm doing events. I'm really enjoying it. But once the events start to repeat, I start having the same feeling that I'm not satisfied by what I'm doing. And I decided to go back to grad school. So I came back to Wharton as a healthcare major. That was the other um, area that I felt I really enjoyed um, service to the public, and I worked as a volunteer in our local hospital when I was in high school, and that was something I really enjoyed. So I figured, well, maybe I want to be a hospital administrator. So I, I go back to Wharton, and I'm just constantly flipping between should I be should I be spending the money on my graduate school education, or should I just be trying to open a restaurant? And the bottom line is that I knew that I could not raise the amount of capital because it's just a very capital intensive business. Even if you start from scratch, you need something to, to go from. And my parents weren't going to subsidize that. So I um, got my MBA in healthcare administration, went the route of many Wharton MBAs, which is consulting or investment banking. I chose consulting worked for a consulting firm for about a year and a half. And, um, and you know, I did a lot of traveling and, and um, decided, well, I wanted to be in hospital administration, so why not try that? And when I did, I realized that I still had the same problem. I had this desire to, to open a restaurant and to, um, you know, serve people. And um, so I had a friend from graduate school who also wanted to have a place where he could eat and bring his own wine. And we ended up becoming partners and we've been partners for the past 25 years almost. And that's how Fork opened. Um, we, we located a, a storefront on Market Street in Old City, which was completely different at the time. Um, the city had just reinvested um, in the streetscape, making it two, from two lanes to four lanes to try to make it so that the con new convention center would connect to the waterfront, which still hasn't entirely happened. It's getting closer. But, um, and, um, and I love Old City as a neighborhood. It's been a great um, home for Fork. Um, you know, it's a creative neighborhood where there's lots of galleries, independent businesses. But when we first started there, there was nobody. And people, some of my friends and um, advisors thought I was crazy because um, the neighborhood was really quite desolate. Yeah. Was Fork the restaurant that you envisioned having? Um, like, was it the restaurant that you always wanted? 
well, you know, I didn't really have a clear vision of what I really wanted, but I started developing one in the process of creating the business plan for um, the restaurant. And, you know, I, I always envisioned it being a neighborhood place, a place where people would gather and could come. And that was moderately, you know, in the middle, not the super high end and not, um, you know, not necessarily fast casual. And, um, uh, you know, I knew that I wanted it to reflect the neighborhood and, and the, um, the character of the neighborhood. And I love the downtown feel of it. High ceilings, it has 14 foot ceilings, double wide building. It's an old building. So I love the character that that added to it. And, um, you know, we pretty much had to start from scratch because it had not been, um, it had not been occupied for many years and um we had to recreate the entire infrastructure of the building yeah yeah wow and what was it what were those first few months like in kind of the first year of, of opening well you know we opened at the we were in the right place at the right time and so 1997 um you know um the city was just coming out of um you know an economic downturn and um uh there weren't that many restaurants that were open. Um, you know, I can't think between Broad Street and um, Old City how many how many restaurants there were. So we were in the right place at the right time. People were really excited about Old City and coming down to Old City to the restaurant scene. Stephen Starr had opened his first restaurant uh, uh, two blocks down the Continental, and um, you know people were flocking there because um, you know they. Philadelphia had never had a martini bar before. And uh, so um, the first few years were challenging. Um, you know, we were really lucky because soon after we opened, um, USA Today noticed us and put us in a piece um, on, um, you know, Philadelphia's most exciting new restaurants. And that included Monks, um, The Four Seasons, um, Lebec Ben. Uh, I don't think Budokan had opened yet, but um, Fork and um, uh, I think that might have been um, everyone. And, um, uh, you know, people were re really excited about the dining scene. Not to mention that when we first hired a chef, and our chef was one of our partners, but when we first met our chef, you know, we didn't really have that clear of a vision. I mean, we knew that we wanted the food to be seasonal. And we didn't want to serve tomatoes out of season. And, um, you know, uh, we wanted to, you know, source as locally as possible. That was about it. And she was a breath of fresh air because, um, you know, quite honestly, uh, you know, we did a tasting with her. And then when she started making the food, we really felt her food was really unique. And so we started calling it New American Bistro Cuisine because it was really fresh off the plate super seasonal and um you know she really incorporated a lot of local farmers and producers yeah yeah i mean i think what's so interesting is like the longevity that fork has been open for and um how do you think about like innovation and creativity as throughout the years and making pivots um at fork and as you expanded the world is constantly changing around you. So you can never just be satisfied with what you're doing. You always have to be 
adapting to what's going on. I mean, from the start, 1997, there was, you know, very few people in the, um, in our, in our segment. But as we, as time went on, it became more and more competitive. Um, uh, the rise of the um, celebrity chef, um, old city going in and out of favor from time to time. Um, people, people's sophistication of what knowing and understanding what their meals were about and what they were eating became even more important. Um, you know, when we first opened buying local, you know, was obviously very important to us, but maybe we were only spending 15% or 20% of our total food budget on, on farm product because that's what there was. And we still had to, we still had to work with other purveyors, but now there's local farmers coming from all over the place coming directly to us. We don't even have to go to them. And, um, you know, there's, there's way more to choose from. There's so many more talented people, Instagram and social media came about that completely, you know, evolved. I mean, even, even just the internet. I mean, I mean, I hate to say this cause it's going to completely date and age me. But when we first opened, we had dial up and the, you know, a website, a restaurant website was virtually unheard of. So, you know, we had a website and we, we used the internet, but, um, you know, it was an open table didn't come along until 2004 or so. Um, and now look at how much things have changed. And, you know, even open table is being challenged because people feel like they're walking, they're not even looking through open table to find their restaurants. They're just Googling it and, or looking on Google maps on their phone. I mean, that didn't even exist back then. So things are constantly happening and we're just adapting just like COVID. I mean, you know, who would expect on March 16th that you would be parting ways with 150 of your teammates, you know, and, and all the time thinking, Oh, this is going to be a short term thing. But in my mind, I just had this, you know, probably pessimistic view that um, it wasn't going to go away that quickly and what was going to happen then financial relief came along. I mean, things just keep going. And I just kept trying to adapt, you know? So if when people, you know, I, I, I used to say people will walk by fork and say, Oh, that's a really nice restaurant, but not necessarily can't come in. So then I decided I was going to make it the best really nice restaurant it could possibly be. We renovated, we put in, you know, more investment, more equipment, top chef, you know, all this stuff to make it really great right now we're we're just trying to um you know figure it out we're doing takeout um maggie i don't even know if you know this but high street closed yeah i saw it was very sad oh so we had to relocate from market street because we couldn't come to agreement and i mean these things are all out of your control i mean like who could control a landlord who like thinks that five thousand dollars a month you know, increases okay when you're paying $7,500 a month. I mean, like our total rent increase was almost double. That's crazy. And yeah. And so, I mean, in defense of ourselves, we had no choice. I mean, people were like, oh, the pandemic, you know, impacted high street, but like he increased the rent even before the pandemic. And that is just such a huge increase. You know, who, who knows? Um, so we're here in our new high street, Philly, um, and we've evolved that. We're doing 
bread still and, um, you know, continuing to do our sandwiches and pastas. And we added a pizza program after we had um, a number of very successful collaborations for pizza nights at High Street. We decided we're going to roll out our own pizza program. So we've been doing that. And I, I would say that the pizza is giving, you know, top pizza places in the city a good run. Um, they're certainly creative and really um, well-baked. Um, so, you know, I, I think the hardest is Fork because, you know, it's a place where people go to have an experience. And when nobody can go to have an experience, how do you, how do you change that? And so what we've been doing there is, um, uh, you know, trying to figure out how, how can we be at our customers' place instead of forcing them to come to us. But ultimately, you know, I mean, the experience is being there and it's such a beautiful room and all that. So, you know, we can't wait for things to get back to normal so that we can welcome people back into the dining room. Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, restaurants have obviously been doing amazing jobs pivoting and figuring out ways to stay afloat, but you're right. I mean, that, that core aspect of the experience is, I think, something that can't, I think it's kind of impossible to be replicated um, as much as you can try. You're not. Well, we're, we're, we try. Like, we have this box that, um, you know, you have to do a little bit of work to it. But mm -hmm. we try to make it as tasty as it would be. We try to use the same ingredients that it would be. But we have to make it so that we, we, ha we can't just make anything. Um, we have to make food that translates into the to-go experience so that people are successful at executing the meal. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that the restaurant industry is changing into a new direction? I feel like with the pandemic, it allows so many different restaurants to be creative and explore new revenue streams, such as like the to-go or like the consumer packaged goods or um, virtual experiences. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think it's going to go back to normal. I think you're right that all these things that people are doing, if they're successful, people are probably going to stick with them. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about pent up demand, but really, um, you know, um, I think, I think the landscape is going to change a lot. I think that, um, uh, especially with um, the economics of the business being very closely examined, um, you know, um, the old model of having um, a super, I mean, Maggie, you know, from staging in kitchens, you know, um, some, some super high-end restaurants have so many people involved with the process of making the food that it's not even economically feasible. And especially if the minimum wage increases, um, that's going to become even more challenging to, um, to make that, that level of food without having um, a different business model of some sort. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like the business model before is like an unsustainable and I think we're moving towards a new direction where people can explore new business models and revenue streams. And I think it's very exciting because I think tech previously was hasn't been like a big focus in in the hospitality whereas like now through social media or like through the digitization of the industry there's a lot more new offerings um which is exciting not only from the hospitality perspective but also from a consumer perspective yeah i think it's really exciting because um you know people who couldn't enter the um couldn't enter the marketplace 
because the expense of opening was too high because of a restaurant can do tons of things virtually that make it completely possible for them to be able to open. And I think that's going to be the, the ultimate um, challenge. But um, I do think that, you know, the traditional restaurant will still continue to exist. People will still want to go out for those special occasions and whatnot. But I don't think that there can be as many as there may have been previously. And I don't think a lot of people will necessarily want to go back to that if they were in business and, and, you know, um, struggling and, or, you know, dealing with workforce issues or whatever. Um, so I think a lot of people ask me, uh, and Elena, this, especially since like most of our listeners and community are at Penn, um, like how can us as students support restaurants in Philadelphia? Um, or what's like the best way to support you guys? Well, um, I'll be honest, um, High Street Provisions is open and the food court is really struggling. So that is one easy way to support restaurants because those restaurants, you know, people don't think of them. They don't see them outside and um, maybe their online presence is behind the Franklin's table. So those restaurants all need support. So that would be an easy one. Um, I think that what the restaurant industry is going through right now is something that could happen to any business, whether or not there is a pandemic or not, there could be some disruption that, that impacts your business. And how do you, how do you kind of, um, you know, figure out your way out? This is just enormous because it affects so many businesses. I mean, I think um, the international, the um, independent restaurant coalition said there were 110,000 restaurants closed in the U S and I think I, I read how 2.5 million restaurant workers were laid off um, just this past month. So, you know, it's, it's the, the impact is enormous. Yeah. So, you know, I think any of those things, you know, take out gift cards, all those things help people, um, you know, even buying a loaf of bread helps. Yeah. Yeah. I think the real takeaway is anything helps and anything we can do right now to, support restaurants, the restaurants we love. It's great. Um, definitely. So kind of following that train of thought with students in mind, do you have any advice for students or young people who are looking to enter the industry, potentially looking for a career in food and hospitality? Well, it's definitely, uh, you know, a great time to be considering entering the industry if that's something that you're really passionate about, because I think right now, um, the opportunity for reinventing the business model is there and 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 restaurateurs are very interested in trying to figure out how to make it all work but you know no matter what um in its current incarnation um you know customers who come into the restaurant are going to have to be taken care of by somebody and you know they're still it's still working at nighttime it's still working on holidays, you know, and there, there's a lot that you give up when you um, are in this industry. And, you know, but, but having said that, and having just talked about all the different ways that, that you could be in the industry, I think you have to really evaluate what your personal values and what you want for yourself are, and then figure out how to, um, which, which kind of venue does that fit into? Because it's not realistic to say, I want to own a sit-down restaurant 
that has high end food, but I'm not going to be open at night. That's a really hard proposition and maybe someone can figure it out, but, um, you know, it, it, it might be a challenge. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you know, it's, it's definitely more challenging than the, what, what people are doing right now. And of course things might change and that might be entirely feasible in the near future, but, um, you know, that's something that they'll have to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then one final segment that we do, we call the quick fire tasting menu. So it's just a segment of fun questions and we'd love to hear what comes to mind. So the first question is, what's your favorite Philly takeout? My, my um, favorite Philly takeout, let me think, is probably, um, I hate to say this, Faux Saigon. I, I think I take out from there more than any place. Yeah, I've heard, I still haven't been somehow and I've heard such great things. I think my roommate's actually going later this week, so I'll have to get the report from her. Um, but what's your favorite midnight snack? Well, I, I'll be honest, when I go home, I eat like three oranges as soon as I go home. It's kind of strange, but um, <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I eat when I go home. Um, what do you think is the most underrated dish at either Fork or High Street, in your opinion? The most underrated dish at um, High Street, I would say the dinner program, because most people just think of it as sandwiches um, and don't even realize what an incredible, um, you know, entree, um, you know, there's salmon, short rib chicken, all done with, you know, um, really fresh ingredients. And the chef um, who is here, Christina McKeo, does an unbelievable job. That's very highly underrated. Um, and at Fork, I would say, um, what's the most highly the most underrated dish is probably the warm garlic dip, which is like a, a, a spin on the traditional Italian dish, Sanya Cauda, um, uh, garlic, anchovy, and olive oil served warm with, you know, crudite and vegetables. We, we do a spin on that where we have um, house-made bacon, pickled sardines, and um, all kinds of, you know, seasonal vegetables, radishes, apple, um, uh, broccoli, mushrooms. It's, 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 I love it. It's pretty um, fun to eat and tasty. What is one must have item in your fridge? Oh, well, um, I have, I, I have a secret project that's coming out um, mm -hmm. called the wonton project. And I always have frozen wontons in my freezer. Um, so um, that's something that um, gives me a fix. Well, I'm excited when the secret project is revealed. Um, and finally, who's someone in the hospitality industry that's doing some cool things that you want to give a shout out to? Wow, there's a lot of people doing some really cool things. Um, so one of my um, one of my former um, cooks became a celebrity chef, um, Omar Tate, and he's working really hard to um, open a community center in West Philadelphia with his wife. And he is all about trying to tell the story of the um, African American, African American diaspora, right? Um, and um, uh, he um, he reminds me a little bit of Eli Culp because Eli was very much into telling a story, be, uh, giving a reason why you want to eat something, not just making something for the sake of of making food. And uh, Omar has kind of taken that to something really personal and passionate. And, um, you know, I think that there's a combination of social mission, 
um, as well as, um, as uh, good food. And I just want to say that, um, you know, a couple other people doing that really well, Tess Hart from Triple Bottom Brewing, she's, um, you know, recreating, um, you know, um, the, her whole business model is trying to train people who were recently formerly incarcerated and um, bringing them back into the workplace and having them be part of the um, microbrewery. And she does distribution and she makes really delicious beer. Um, Judy Nee from Bowology, she does an unbelievable job with her social mission of trying to feed, um, you know, food insecure and all that. And, you know, I mean, I think there are so many people in this industry doing really good work, not only um, feeding their neighborhoods, but also feeding their community. She's wonderful. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show, Ellen. It was so great to see you again and hear about what you guys have been up to and just like all the creative initiatives that you guys have been working on. Thanks, guys. I appreciate being um, asked and hopefully see you soon in person. That's a wrap on our conversation with Ellen Yin. You can find Ellen on Instagram at the Real Ellen Yin, and if you're in Philly, be sure to visit Fork, High Street on Market, or High Street Provisions. And a couple of exciting announcements on our end. We're working with Women in Hospitality United to bring you Hindsight 2021, What I'd Wish I'd Known. It's going to be a two-day series of discussions and activities designed to empower the next generation of hospitality leaders. So if you're in college and looking to enter the hospitality industry or someone who just started out in the industry, we'd love to have you sign up at gourmandcommunity.com or womeninhospitality.org. As always, you can keep up with all things gourmand at gourmandcommunity on Instagram. And Calling All Penn students, on March 25th, 34th Street will be releasing an issue of the Spring Dining Guide called Reality Bites. It centers on how COVID-19 is shaping the industry and includes tales of restaurants rising to the challenge of staying open through innovation, philanthropy, and justice. To support these local businesses, please pick up a copy of the Dining Guide either at the Compass, Paris Baguette, or High Rise Field. As a bonus, every issue comes with a chance to win a golden ticket. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand. 